0: Taking your calls and texts live on the air, usually on Thursdays. You have Pastor Ed Taylor, but I'm filling in for him today. Um, Not sure where he's at, but I get to be your host today. I'm usually your host every Monday here on the show and uh, enjoy very much taking your calls and texts, answering your questions about the Bible, praying for your prayer requests. The number to call with those is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Here at the beginning of the show is always one of the best times if you want to get on uh, the air with us because we don't have a lot of callers when we first start the show. So if you would like to get on, now is the time to call. 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. I want to say welcome to all of you who are listening Uh, on Grace FM in Colorado and Wyoming. also want to give a big hello to everybody listening on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. We also want to say hi to everybody in Tennessee and North Carolina, parts of Kentucky, who are listening on Truth FM. So glad to have the syndication going on and so many people who have benefited from the show and getting to now spread the word uh, to even further regions through syndications. Just a reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. So we'd love for you to call in and then you get to do something that local listeners don't get to do. You get to tune in a week later and listen to yourself, which is cool. So also want to say hi to everybody who is tuning in via the uh, mobile app. So we have a great grace fm mobile app where you can listen live to the radio station anytime any place where you're at over the internet if you don't have that yet you should go get it now go to whatever uh, mobile site you use you know whether it's the itunes store or whether it's google play or uh, whatever it is amazon one that you might use and download the grace fm app we have a great app and uh, great way to listen. I know we use it because, like, for example, we don't even have a radio with an antenna anymore, except in our cars. So when we're not in our cars, we don't have any way to listen to the station except for now we have the mobile app, so we can just tune in wherever we're at. So welcome to the program, however you tuned in. You can also tune in on your web browser, just online, gracefm.com, wherever you're at. We'd love to uh, know about it, so feel free to call us from wherever you're calling in. I have recently been talking to some people who listen to the program. I talked to a guy just this week who is listening from Ireland. So we know that not only do we have people, you know, on our syndicated stations listening, we have people even across the pond in Ireland, uh, UK, Europe, and those kind of places as well. So we're so glad that you tuned in today. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. If you have a prayer request, you can call us or text us. We would love to pray for you on the air or answer your questions. So a few words about myself. I am... Uh, Nick Cady, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in the city of Longmont. Our church meets in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is a historic building in downtown Longmont right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak. So Kaufman Street and Longs Peak Avenue, that's um, 700 Longs Peak Avenue is our address. And we meet there in the St. Vrain Memorial Building every Sunday at 10 a.m., so for those of you in the Longmont area, we would—I'd uh, like to just personally invite you to come and join us for worship and the Word. Uh, you can find more information as well as past messages and directions to church. All that kind of good information is available on our website, which is WhitefieldsChurch.com. That's WhitefieldsChurch.com. And this Sunday, we just started a new series last week, which I'm really excited about, and it's really been. It's really been going well so far. We're only one week into it. It's a six-week series, and it's called The Trouble Is. And uh, in this series, what we're looking at is kind of the big hurdles, the things that people say are hindrances for them in accepting uh, Christianity or embracing Jesus as their Savior. And so I did a poll. This is how this all began. About two months ago, I did a poll on my website, and I got you know quite a lot of response. And I was just asking people, what are are the hardest things for you when it comes to Christianity? What are the unanswered questions you have? What are the sources of doubt that cause you either to reject Christianity if you're not a Christian? Or if you are a Christian, what are the things that cause you to, you know, doubt? And so I got a lot of response. And so based on that poll, we took kind of the top six big answers or responses to that question and we create a series out of it where we're responding to those and um so this past week we looked at the bible you know can we actually trust it hasn't it been changed how do we get the bible you know wasn't it constantine just picked out the books kind of at a whim whatever he felt like because he was in power you know those kind of questions uh doesn't the bible have contradictions you know these kind of claims about the bible and uh it was a great study. In fact, there was just so much information about the veracity of the Bible that, um, That it was almost more than we could handle. So um, this coming Sunday, though, we're looking at the topic, which, according to our poll, was really the biggest hindrance for people coming to faith. And that is the issue of hypocrisy. You know, you hear that a lot. Christians are hypocrites. That's why people say it's hard for me to be a Christian because Christians, because of the way that some Christians behave or because I've been hurt by Christians. Or maybe they'll look historically and say, you know, if this religion caused things like the... um, crusades and the inquisition then i don't know if it's for me so we're going to be talking about that kind of stuff this coming sunday at whitefields and i'm really excited about it if you're in the area definitely come check it out or you can listen to the studies after they're posted on our website at whitefieldschurch.com let's go to our call in line we've got joanne in Byers. hi By- hi joanne am i pronouncing your name right
1: no it's wani
0: oh it's wani i'm sorry that's
1: Just okay reading.
0: all right how are you doing
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. What's going on? Well, my question um, is, I am, I believe, you know, in pre-trips. And I also, it's my understanding that until children have reached that age of accountability, they're saved. So the tribulation happens, and all the children who are under the age of accountability from every different race, religion, are raptured. How do you think um I don't see anything in the Bible about
0: that, but yeah, no, I think that's a great question and and yes, so there really isn't a lot in the Bible to be honest about this topic this to uh get to this conclusion about this concept of the age of accountability, the way that we get to that is uh, kind of two parts, one of them is the Bible itself and the other one is using some logic, which I think is also important thing to do right, and so we we actually call this kind of reasoning it's called. Uh, theological reasoning and what that simply means is this it means that when we think about God um, and we think about the bible that we understand that God is not going to contradict himself and God has a certain nature and character and so we want to think um, consistently about God so that's all that that means um, so here here's what the bible has to say about it it talks about David this is really the biggest proof text I guess you could say that we point to is that when David had his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, she got pregnant, they had a baby, but the baby died in infancy, and it says that while that baby was sick, he was praying for the baby and he was, you know, mourning and just praying and fasting. And when the baby died, his servants came to him and they were very worried about telling him that the baby had died because they were like, Wow, if he's mourning and, and you know, if he's this Upset when the baby's still alive and kind of in limbo is the baby going to survive or not Uh, Then well, how's he going to react when when he finds out the baby's dead? He's probably going to hurt himself is what they said it says there in the Bible, but instead it says that when David found out that the baby had died he actually uh, washed himself up and ate a meal and Was much more relaxed and they asked him why 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 are you at peace with this and he said because I know that I will see him again. I will. He will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Mm-hmm. And So from that, we conclude that, well, it must be telling us that um, if children die at a certain age before they reach the age of knowledge or accountability, as you said, then they go to heaven. The other reason is because we look at uh, God's character and we we also consider, you know, what about people you could also say with. Disabilities who have cognitive disabilities and they're not able to understand those things So here's what I would just answer your question very simply. I agree with you. Yes I do think that before an age of accountability whenever that might be again for the Jewish people They they consider adulthood to happen at age 13. That's why we have bar mitzvahs at age 13 Uh, I don't know if that's the actual date or or earlier I, I have children who my son's 10 and I feel that he does understand the gospel So I'm not sure when that age of accountability is. But I do believe that, uh, yes, uh, people from uh, other backgrounds. It's hard for me to say that a child of six years old is a Muslim. You know what I mean? Or or a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think they're a child. And I think that it's very clear from the Bible that what we believe, that every person needs to make a choice uh, and a decision about what they believe. Even if you inherit a, a faith, from your parents, you have to decide if that's going to be your faith or not. That's actually really the theme of the book of Deuteronomy, by the way.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much. I know that. I just thought, hmm, how's the world going to react when all the children disappear? <laughs> well,
0: Well, thanks I guess we'll find so out. much. Thank you. All right. God bless bye-bye. you. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. Or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you, pray for you, and answer your questions. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to James. Calling from Washington, D.C.
2: Hi, James. Hi. How are you, Seth? Thanks for taking my call. Um, well. I was hoping to get a prayer from you uh, just about my job situation. Um, it's a lot of things that's happening that are uh, uh, behind the scenes, people with different motives. And uh, I'm, I'm just not sure if I can keep my job. And and in the midst of it, I want to speak up as a man, but there's consequences to that. And uh, I, I'm trying to trust God, but it, it just seems as though he's thrown me to the whips. I mean, I know it's not what it is, but it, it, mm-hmm. it just, from a human, a human stance, I'm all alone against uh, a, a lot of people with different motives.
0: I see. Yeah, you know that reminds me of a lot of what David wrote in the Psalms, you know He says sometimes he would write that he was all alone and that everyone had turned against him I I was just recently reading in um, It's in first Samuel chapter 20 something. I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head 22 Maybe it's where he's in the cave of Adullam, and during that time We know that he wrote two Psalms and he was on the run from Saul who was trying to kill him, you know and uh, and so he writes in those Psalms, he says, I'm all alone, and, and where is God in it? He's questioning. But then I love how he ends those Psalms. He starts out just being very honest about his, his feelings, kind of like you're saying, you know, like you're saying, I feel like God has thrown me to the wolves. Um, but then I love what David does is that he transitions about halfway through the Psalm And he transitions to this point. He says, no, I will praise the Lord. He is with me. He is my light. He is my salvation. And I would just encourage you to do the same. Is that I think that this is a pattern that we see in the Psalms that's very healthy. Is that people are very honest about how they feel. They say, this is how I feel. But then in a way they say, okay, even though that's how I feel, this is what I know the truth is. And so I'm going to stand on the truth. So yeah. I want to encourage you and any of our listeners listening as well to do that same thing to say, "Man, I feel like God has thrown me to the wolves. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like there's no nothing good can possibly come of this." But here's the truth that I know. That God is working okay. all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I know that God will never leave me or forsake me. Those are the truths I know, and I stand on those truths, and that's how I I deal with, that's how I face and I, I process the things that are happening in my life.
2: Yes, thank
0: you. Absolutely. Thank let, you. Me, let me pray for you in your job situation. Heavenly yes, Father, sure. we pray for James. Thank you, Lord, for him and his, um, his life. We thank you that he has this job, and, and we don't know what's going to happen with it, Lord, but we do say that which we just spoke of. That we do absolutely trust you, Lord, that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, we, we thank you that you know James, you know the situation, you know his needs. And Lord, we ask that you would give him wisdom as to how to stand up for himself or not. Whether this is a situation where he says, you know what, I'm just going to let this happen. Or if this is a situation where he says, no, I'm going to speak up. Lord, give him wisdom because uh, either of those could be the right thing or the wrong yes. right thing depending on the situation. So, Lord, we ask you to give him the right answer for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide him with a good job that provides for all of his needs. And, um, and Lord, we just thank you for him. And we pray, I pray for him that in the midst of yes. these struggles and doubts, Lord, that he would stand on the truth that he knows. And we pray yes. that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, brother. I certainly appreciate it, Pastor. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. God bless you. Thank All you, right. sir. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 336 Nine seven. Let's go to Caesar in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Caesar, how you doing?
3: Hi, Pastor. Pastor, on John five, the healing pool. Yes. The paralytic. Yeah. Do you think he had faith in the pool? Because he sat there for thirty eight years. No, not, hmm. the pool. not the pool, but he sat by the pool on the porch for thirty eight years. Right waiting to get in right and then when jesus said get up and walk he did it he did it you know like yeah you know yeah and then and then they tried it so yeah do you think he had faith
0: like did i think he had faith well i think he did he must have had enough faith to believe when jesus told him to get up and walk he had enough faith to at least uh try to so i think that <laughs> does take faith
3: yeah and then he would you must have been mocked the whole time, like you know, teased and stuff like that, that that for thirty eight years didn't get away with it. And then this guy says, "Get up and walk," and he did. Just got up. He didn't like say mock him. And then when he goes, "Okay, that thank you, Pastor." That yeah, you know,
0: part. I I think the other thing is I don't know if he was mocked. I'll just tell you that part. I kind of not sure if I follow you on that part because here's but a why. hard
3: life, you know, like sure, uh, yeah, how people are, you know,
0: yeah. You know, this thing is so you're what you're referring to in John chapter five. It's the healing that takes place at the pool of Bethesda. And so there was this pool, it says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem. And people would gather there who were lame because they there was some kind of movement in the water. And when the water moved, they believed that this was an angel stirring the water and the first person into the water would get healed. It is actually really kind of a terrible (laughs) I I mean, in, in the I hope they don't take this wrong, but. It's like really terrible theology in a way, and this kind of theology still exists to this
3: day. I see it like this. I see it it was created because Jesus showed everybody's heart for 38 years that not one person thought it into their heart to try to get this guy in the pool, Mm. right? Or there's another one Is like, did he have a disease that could have got him sick? So a lot of us don't want to, like, catch something that somebody else has, and yet God— did it. It's like he like he 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 would have uh picked him up and took his disease and put him in the pool. Like like he's living water. You know, it's like he showed him their heart. For thirty eight years nobody did it. It kinda of points your heart out like he he looks at her heart, you know, and then I was yeah. thinking this guy, he like, had to have faith. In in and, and believing that it, it was the spirit from the from the Lord they believe, right? When so when Jesus came, you know, just believe he
0: was moved by God, but, you
3: know, because of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Hey,
0: well, yeah, cool. Hey, thanks for your call. God bless you, Caesar. Thank you. Yeah, All right. Take you. care. Just following up on what we were talking about with Caesar, I just wanted to say one thing, you know, um, I think what, what we see with this guy at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 is that this was a man who, who wanted to be healed, and yet he had really no way to be healed, And he, and around this pool there would have been gathered a lot of people. And it was this kind of thing where they they had this thing, whether it was a superstition or whether it was real. I personally think it was a superstition where if, you know, the water moved then the first person in the pool would get healed. And so is this kind of race. But guess who's going to be the first person in the pool? The person who's not lame like this guy was like, if you're lame and you're trying to be the first person in the pool. Good luck. I mean, how's that ever, ever going to happen? This guy was an absolutely hopeless situation. And along comes Jesus, and he asks him this question, which is almost a, I wonder, you know, you could almost take it as an insulting question, almost like so obvious that, are you kidding me? All right. so here's the question he asks him. Jesus sees this guy lying there. He knew he'd been lying there a long time. That's chapter five, verse six. And then he says to him, do you want to be healed? It'd be like, uh, you know, if you walk into a hairdresser and they ask you, do you want a haircut? Oh, well, yeah, of course. That's why I came here and not to, you know, the movie theater. And so it's the same kind of thing here. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Because why? Why is Jesus doing that? He already knows the answer. It's because he wants this. He was trying to elicit this man's faith. He's trying to get this man to ask. And so Jesus gets down next to him and he says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. So I think it's just an amazing thing. And of course, it does take a lot of faith to respond To God, And I think we see that in a lot of places. We see it like, for example, I always think of the man with the withered hand. This man's had a withered hand for a really long time, and then Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And you can easily put yourself in that man's position and say, "Man, if all it takes is for me to just stretch out my hand, don't you think I could have thought of that a long time ago on my own? I, I didn't necessarily need you to tell me that. But yet, see, that was the moment. And Jesus was going to heal him, but he was meeting him in that moment. He wanted that man to take that first step. We see that in lots of places in the Bible where God asks somebody to take a step and then the miracle happens. The miracle has already been prepared, the power's there, but yet God wants that person to take a step in obedience and faith and response. It's the same thing with us coming to faith unto salvation, right? Is that the work has been done. The, the, The miracle of salvation is not a work that we do or accomplish. It's something that Jesus has done for us and yet he tells us, I want you to take this step. I want you to put down your yes and say, yes, I do put my faith in Jesus. I embrace him as my Savior. And in the moment, you see that that, that has taken place, that miracle of salvation. So uh, thank you, Caesar, for the call. Let's go to Jim in Thornton, Colorado. Hey, Jim.
4: How you doing, Pastor Nate?
0: Uh, I'm doing well.
4: Hey, uh, so I had a question. I was reading, uh, well, actually, I was just thinking about the other day, uh, Adam and Eve and their fall, and when uh, God in, in uh, Genesis 3.21 uh, made for them tunics of skin. And yeah. since I thought about, you know, God's spirit, and I didn't really see any any kind of a Christophanes mention there, I'm sure Jesus probably made the skin, but I just was uh, questioning that. So I do not know if you had any insight on that.
0: Yeah, I do. It's actually, I think, one of the most overlooked passages uh, regarding the gospel in the Old Testament. And it's one of my favorites to talk about. So I thank you for bringing it up. Um, So here's what I would just answer your question. So your question, if God is spirit, then who physically made the skins for Adam and Eve? And I don't really think this is an issue, so to say, because um, earlier in chapter two of Genesis, we read that God made he fashioned the man out of the dust. You know we've talked about that before how the first picture we got get of God is a God who is working in the dirt doing physical labor fashioning man by his own hands. And then the next thing we see is that he wants to make the woman and so he puts the man into a deep sleep and does some surgery, removes a rib and then makes the woman. So we've already seen God, you know, creating physical things even though God is a spirit. So personally I don't see any kind of problem here or any kind of potential conflict i'm not sure that it means that god took on a physical form in order to do that in order to uh, it would take slaughtering an animal and then um, skinning it right and then preparing the skin and so uh, i'm not sure that it means that god took on a physical form when he did that Um, i don't think it necessarily does so, maybe it does, and in, in which case, yes, that would be a Christophany, a, a, an example of Jesus coming. Um, so, so I hope that answers your question. I don't think there's any conflict there with God um, being spirit and being able to do something physically. I think we've already seen examples of that happening with them. We also have, uh, okay, go ahead. I've heard
4: it said before that, uh, that uh, I, and I know it doesn't say in the Bible, but that uh, theologians believe that it was a lamb. And so that would make sense along with the gospel being clothed, uh, you know, with Jesus.
0: Absolutely, it would make sense with, it would be, there would be some consistency there with um, the Old Testament sacrificial system as well, in which uh, lambs, goats were sacrificed on behalf of people, for their sins, but I'll tell you, here's what I was referring to when I said just a moment ago that I think this is one of the the greatest pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament that is often overlooked. Uh, you don't hear it talked about a lot because essentially, here's what happens, right? They fall into sin, and what's the immediate sense, the feeling that they get is one of shame that. Whereas before it says they walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Now it says that they're hiding from God and they're ashamed because of their sin. And so what they try to do is they try to make clothing for themselves out of fig leaves, which, you know, fig leaves have never really caught on in the fashion world. And there's probably a reason for that. And that's that they are very drafty and they're probably very itchy. They're uncomfortable and they don't cover you very well. So what are they looking for? They, they are feeling with a, a sense of shame and they're trying to cover up their shame. That's why when they say to God, they said, he says, why were you hiding from me? And they say, because we were naked. And he's like, who told you you were naked? You've been naked this whole time. Like, why is it just now a problem? And they say, um, well, you know, here's what happened. We sinned. We, we disobeyed. We rebelled. And God says, OK, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to create a covering for you. And in order to create a covering for them, he slaughters an animal. Now, I think that the, the kind of animal it was is beside the point in a way. The point is this, that a, another living creature had to die because of their sin, because of their shame. In order to cover up their shame, which is a result of their sin, something else had to die. And here's the thing. They didn't do it themselves, but God himself made for them a covering. And man, if that isn't a picture of Jesus, if that isn't a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. I I just I find it so moving, you know, that here's they are in their shame. And yet God, in his compassion for them, says, I'm going to fix this problem. You tried and your your attempts to cover up your shame were insufficient. And now I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a true covering. And I'm going to do it for you because I love you. And that is exactly what he has done in, in Christ. So that is a foreshadowing of what will happen with Jesus. And I just think it's absolutely beautiful. So that's awesome. For, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. Thank you. All right, God have bless you. Day. You too. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're coming up on our two-minute break. And we have open lines right now. So if you've been wanting to get on, now's a good time to call. We'll get you on. Right after the break, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Like I said, we're coming up on our break, so let's go over to our text line and see if we can answer some text real quick before the break. So this, We have one texter who writes, Why is the New Testament written in Greek? Great question, and I've had uh, this question before. Basically, um, I'll just fill in a little bit of gaps. I think what you're really asking is if the Bible was written by Jewish people, New Testament written by Jewish people, which I will say not all of the people who wrote the New Testament letters were ethnically Jewish. For example, we have Luke, who's probably a Gentile. We have um, Titus, who's likely a Gentile. We have, um, I'm trying to think, I think we have one more. Uh, who was perhaps a Gentile, but that might be it. Anyway, that's just to say, why did they write in Greek? Because Greek was the lingua franca of that day, meaning it was the trade language. It was the language that everybody spoke because Alexander the Great had come before Jesus. He had conquered uh, a lot of the world into Asia and part of Northern Africa. And so Greek was the language that spread. So it's kind of like English today, where it's like very few people actually spoke Hebrew. Even many of the people who lived in the area of Israel didn't speak Hebrew. They were Hellenized or, you know, Greekified, so to say, uh, Jews who spoke Greek as their main language. So if you wanted to have a message that could be spread throughout the world, then Greek was the language to write it in. So that ans- I hope that answers your question as to why the New Testament's in Greek. We've come up on our break, and we are going to go to that for two minutes, and we'll be right back with you. You're listening to Calvary Live. See you in a couple minutes. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or prayer requests. and We'd love to hear from you. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I am taking your calls and texts live on the air today. While I've got you here, let me personally invite you who are in the Longmont area. If you're in Longmont or the surrounding area, we'd love to have you come and join us for worship at Whitefields Community Church. Our uh, website is whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com. You can find out directions, listen to past messages, all that good stuff. This coming Sunday, we are in a great series. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John, Chapter 8, where Jesus meets a woman caught in adultery. And we're going to be talking about the, co- the, the topic of religious hypocrisy and why it is that uh, people find that to be a hurdle towards believing. We, we did a poll and we found out that that was the most common response as to why people um, struggle with accepting Christianity or flat out reject Christianity. And that is that uh, the behavior of Christians. And so we want to address that topic and we want to see what Jesus had to say about it. And uh, so if you're in the area and that's of interest to you, we'd love to have you join us at Whitefields Church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Let's go to line one where we've got Kia in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Kia.
1: Hi, Pastor. Um, I was calling because I was just listening to what you were uh, telling the last caller about um, how Adam and Eve knew that they were naked in the garden, just kind of going through that same scripture where... Um, like, God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep um, while he was like removing his rib to make the woman. I just always wondered, like, what does that interpretation mean? Like, if when the man falls into the deep sleep, like in regards to marriage, um, like for us nowadays, like at what point do you think? Um, I guess I'm just trying to understand, like, what does it mean when the man falls into a deep sleep?
0: Well, I actually don't think it means anything. I think it is—it's uh, just kind of reporting the news that this is what <laughs> happened. He God basically knocked him out because he performed surgery on him. So that's—I—I I don't actually—I don't even think I've ever heard a—a a spiritualized um, explanation of that.
1: Because mm-hmm. I know that, like you know, obviously we know that God brings um, people together. So I'm just wondering if that's like you know maybe at the time when. He's not really seeking a relationship um, with someone else or something, or, you know, he's just, like, that alone time with God during, you know, him getting ready for marriage. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, reading into it too much, but I just didn't know if there was a... Uh, yeah, biblical explanation for that. sure.
0: I think when it comes to that concept of sleep, like you're talking about, I think maybe you're you're reading too much into it. But I do think that the principle you're talking about is an absolutely principle. And I actually do think that you can find it there in Genesis chapter two. And that's this that God gave, uh, excuse me, God gave Adam a job. And his job was to name all the animals. And Adam really, you know, he wasn't, so to say, looking no one. He didn't have a partner. But Adam had, God had given Adam a job, and it seems that Adam, you know, got, what God wanted Adam to do was be content in this job that God had given him. Be content in serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. And it was at that point uh, that Adam still realized that, wow, hey, look, there's Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, and there's Mr. and Mrs. Zebra, Mr. and Mrs. Orangutan, but there's no Mrs. Adam. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was probably a desire in his heart for companionship because it says that God looked at him and said, wow, it's not good that this guy is alone. You know, he really mm-hmm. needs somebody in his life who will be a helpmeet to him. And so that's mm-hmm. when God created the the woman for him and, and gave him this companion who was suited perfectly for him. I mm-hmm. do absolutely think and I think if you know, if you want to make that case biblically, you could go there to Genesis chapter two. I would say you can also go to first corinthians uh, where Mm -hmm. paul talks about he says hey you know sometimes it's better to be single and he says whatever situation life situation you're in when the lord calls you be content in that like because hey if you're Mm -hmm. single then give your heart wholly over to the lord if you Mm -hmm. are married then give your heart wholly over to the lord but don't be thinking all the time like okay well what I really, really need in life is, is to get married or what I really need is a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. What he wants you to do is be completely sold out and satisfied in him and sold out to walking with him and serving him. And mm-hmm. then he brings you that partner at the right time. I think that is the way to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and then if I got that. Yeah.
0: okay, Go ahead
1: i was saying, and then, like, at that point, it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that I was missing this kind of a thing, but here's, like, you know, your compliment. Is that sure. kind of, like, where you're going along with that? Yeah,
0: I guess I might—I I don't know if I'd put in those words as much as i put it in this way. I would say that when that person does come around, or if they don't, because here's the thing, yeah. is that there's no guarantee that, hey, if you follow this formula and you serve the Lord wholeheartedly, then he will bring you the person that you've been waiting for. You know what? Unfortunately— mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes he doesn't and maybe that's not unfortunate. Maybe maybe that's the right thing and it's his will in some people's cases. I guess I want to put it this way that if that person comes along and God brings Mm -hmm. you that person you're able to look at that person and say I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that we're going to do this together but you are not the end all be all of my existence. You are not the thing that I've been dreaming of and waiting for. Mm-hmm. what i've been dreaming of and waiting for is jesus and mm-hmm. and you have come along and now we're going to do this together and that's awesome but yeah. if you hadn't come i would still be serving and loving jesus you know what i'm saying right yeah, and yeah. I think that that has to be the case with so many things in our lives because otherwise, that is really what idolatry is. Idolatry is when you make something, you elevate something to the level that only God should occupy. And, mm-hmm. and you say, this is the thing that I need in order to fill up what's missing in my life. In order to be okay, I have to have this. And I see so many people do it. And in fact, I would say, you know, we talk about how the love of money, right? The Bible says the love of money is the root of much evil. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? I I, so I lived in Hungary and uh, for 10 years as a missionary and I worked with a lot of people who were poor and I got to tell you this the love of money is not something that uh, rich people have only it's also Mm -hmm. something that people who don't have money have they idolize it same with uh, you know idolatry of having a companionship a lot of times the people who idolize it are people who don't have it but wish they did and the reason is because they haven't experienced it and it has grown into this thing in their heart where they think, this is the thing I need. And, and really what they're looking to is they're looking for that thing to fill the, the spot that only Jesus can fill.
1: Mhm. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Um, and thanks for the clarification. I'll go ahead and read, um, reread Genesis 2. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and check out 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as well. So,
1: okay. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Have a good God bless one. Bye. you.
0: All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady uh, from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have one open line. The number to call is 303-690-3000. You can always text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Elizabeth in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Elizabeth. Hi. What's up? Can you hear me?
1: Oh, um, I was wondering, I want to get a tattoo, but someone said that it's in the Bible that we shouldn't mark up our bodies. Mm -hmm. Is that true?
0: Okay, so yes, it is true that that's in the Bible. I'm going to read it to you. This is from the Old Testament law, and it commanded the Israelites. Here's the command. Leviticus 19, verse 28 says, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. Um, So, In one sense, that person was right that the Bible says this, but we have to interpret that. And let me help you kind of uh, navigate that for yourself. Okay. Uh, Now, you got to remember clearly in this verse, cutting your body for the dead and putting tattoo marks on yourself. The two of those things are, there's a, they're combined, right? They're in the same commandment. Right. Uh, Why is that? Because these were pagan practices. So they, this is something we even see in another place in the Bible is that they would cut themselves to get the attention of the gods. And so that we know about the cutting part, right? But then the tattoo part. Then so what this is, is that in ancient religions, this was another way that they would mark themselves as uh, followers of a particular pagan deity. And so um, it, here's, here's my interpretation of that. If that is not what you're doing, then I think you're okay. So, But if you are getting a mark that says that you're a follower of pagan deity, then I would absolutely tell you that the Bible says not to.
1: Okay, well, I wanted to get um, a scripture on my right arm. Okay. Um, I just recently gave myself up to Jesus and asked him to come into my life again which before I was lukewarm and I ended up saying, I'm not doing this again. I was so happy when I was trying to do everything for him. And I just thought, well, I want to put a tattoo with just the scripture, um, but I don't know exactly which one yet. And then someone's like, well, you can't do that. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, I wasn't sure if you could or not.
0: So I'm going to tell you that I think you're okay to do it. Okay, oh, thank so you. That- that's my uh that's my take and i'll tell you why so i, I can give you a long theological explanation uh which i which i'm going to do but i'm going to try and make it as short and concise as possible okay? okay so we have the old testament law and one of the criticisms that christians sometimes get is is that it seems that Christians, so to say, pick and choose which of the Old Testament laws they follow and which they don't. Maybe there's even somebody listening right now who says, hey, the Old Testament law says don't get tattoos, so therefore don't get tattoos. doesn't matter to them if those tattoos were, you know, a a pagan ritualistic practice or not. They just say, well, hey, that's what the law says, so you shouldn't do it. Okay, but then, you know, the question is this. There's also other things in the law that says things like you shouldn't wear clothing that has mixed fibers. So if you wear a polyester blend shirt or pants like stretch pants uh, or basically anybody who wears uh, underwear because they're probably, you know, some kind of mixed material, um, you know, any, if you wear socks, if you buy anything from the store, it's going to have some polyester blend in it. And so that would also be against the law. You know, eating a cheeseburger, for example, because it says do not eat uh, meat that's a calf boiled in its mother's milk. And so the Jews went so far as to interpret that as saying that you can never eat dairy and beef in the same meal. And so why is it that Christians have no problem wearing polyester blend clothing and they have no problem um, eating cheeseburgers, but yet they say that um, certain sexual behaviors, for example, what the Old Testament law says about those things is still applicable, or even the Ten Commandments, you know, because that's part of the Old Testament law, too. So if we start picking and choosing, then where's the end of it? And and the answer to that is this, that uh, in the New Testament, what it's made very clear is that the Old Testament law is divided into three parts, and so... For the people of Israel, they lived in a theocracy, so to say, right? That was their government system in which God was their king. And all the laws had ceremonial, civil, and moral implications all wrapped into one. But then when we get into the New Testament... They're no longer living under that theocracy in the same way. And, and there's a lot of things changing, especially after Jesus. Then the, the ceremonial stuff changes as well. So here's, here's the way that the New Testament deals with it. It divides the Old Testament laws into three basic categories. Civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws. Okay, so civil laws are things dealing with the behaviors and punishment for crimes. Then you've got ceremonial laws. And then you've got moral laws. So ceremonial laws are things like hand-washing, not eating lobster, for example. They weren't allowed to eat lobster, and a lot of Christians eat lobster, right? um, Right. And so those were ceremonial laws. They were to do with clean and unclean things, but they were also for the protection of the people. And then you have moral laws. So moral laws are things like don't kill uh, or don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet. These are moral laws. And so here's the way that we need to understand that. The civil laws... Applied to the people of Israel in their theocracy. The ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Jesus. And then the moral laws are still applicable. So that's why we still look to the law as to what it says about morality. And the reason the moral laws are still applicable. Is because the moral laws are rooted in the character of God. Right? So God is a God who uh, is this way. Therefore, we should be this way morally. Now, here's all, all... That's a long explanation, and it's just to tell you this. That doesn't mean that we're picking and choosing. What it means is that the New Testament actually tells us that there are different kinds of laws that serve different purposes. The moral law never changes, but when it comes to ceremonial laws, which, for example, this tattoo issue fits into that category, and then civil laws um, about punishments for crimes, those do not apply to Christians today, and the New Testament makes that very clear. So I hope that answers your question. And the long and short of the answer is, I think you're okay to go get a tattoo. Thank you. All right. Cool. Bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Pete in New Jersey. Hi, Pete.
2: Yeah, how you doing? Hey, I was just listening to your answer on that one. And I just had a thought about that, is that, uh, I mean, an underlying reason for the Old Testament laws was to distinguish and discern spirits, because there was a lot of the same kind of spiritual activity that's going on today, and it can be very deceiving, and it can convince people that it's God speaking when it's not. So, I mean, to... To put it in a um, a simple term, your skin shouldn't have to announce what your lips and your tongue are perfectly capable of doing. So there's something behind that that went on back then that we don't see because we didn't live there. But it has something to do with Satan's ability to deceive versus God's ability to speak in a certain kind of way. My question was um, based on Revelation, the three woes. I believe the first world was passed, because I think that is a figurative description of Rome coming to destroy Jerusalem. And then the second and the third world, I believe, are our time. And I'm kind of wondering what you might have um, come across in your studies to to um, give me your take on that. I mean, I, I look at – there's, I, and I have a bad memory, but there's one point in Revelation where it says hour, day, month, and year, and then it goes down and gives a description – and then it says, and those not slain by these plagues repented not of their murders, thefts, sorcery, uh, sexual morality. That, and I think that that category, the, the list there, is what's going to be cut off supernaturally in the second woe. And I think the third woe is maybe a little different than the second woe. I think the third woe is simply a loss of existence. Because I don't believe hell's eternal. I think that... Um, the New Jerusalem, equal in all dimensions, is of an amphibological description of okay.
0: well, God. Well, uh, let me just stop you, and I just want to, you know, I'm sure there's some of our listeners who are kind of, uh, their heads spinning right now. So let me just uh, back up a little bit. What are these three woes? So what they're referred to is, it's so the book of Revelation. It's a vision that uh, John the Revelator, or John the Apostle, had in his old age when he was in prison, On an island, because he was a Christian, he was exiled to an island. And he had a vision of what would happen at the end of the world with the return of Jesus. Well, first of all, the judgment of the nations and uh, judgment of corruption and all of these things. And then the return of Jesus, the destruction of Satan, and the new heavens and the new earth. And so the, the woes that you're speaking of are... Are three woes that are found they start in revelation chapter nine and so there's seven trumpet judgments and so the first woe is revealed after the fifth trumpet judgment and it involves locusts uh, who have the ability to sting like scorpions
4: right well i mean it's clearly
2: figurative i mean it's it's a, a vision is kind of like a sentence put into a picture and you look at the picture and you have to draw the sentence out of it like what's it really saying
0: Of course. So that is the uh, point of Revelation that makes it very difficult for us to interpret, is that Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which means that it is uh, some parts of it are meant to be analogies or word pictures, and some parts are meant to be taken literally. And we have um, very little guide for us as to which parts are and which parts aren't. Have you ever
2: heard of um, that book called Figures of Speech used in the Bible that was put together by E.W. Bollinger?
0: No, I haven't. Uh, sorry, I'm not familiar with that book. But oh let me man, just, let you me... got
2: to read that book. There's 217 designs.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think I must have lost you. So the uh, the point is, I haven't heard that book. I'm sorry about that. Let me just, uh, for our listeners, explain this deal with the woes and that kind of thing. So the first woes revealed after the the fifth trumpet judgment, and uh, and so it refers to locusts. Now, whether these are actual locusts. Or not is a matter of question. A lot of people don't think that they are because they have the uh, seal of God on their forehead. So, Trump uh, locusts with a seal on their forehead. So, probably this is figurative. Um, The second woe. So, anyway, just to understand that these are things. You asked, "Have these things already happened?" My answer is going to be no. I don't believe they have already happened, and the reason I don't believe that is because Revelation gives us a framework. So the way I read Revelation is that there's a framework and a outline that shows us that Revelation is meant to be understood as uh, chronology. So in a chronolo- chronological order, and I'll give you the reason for that. It's in Revelation chapter one, verse nineteen. Jesus appears to John in this vision and he says to him in verse 19 write therefore the things that you have seen the things that are and the things that are to take place after this so the things that so that that gives us a chronology and outline right so the things that are those are the things in the that in the present I'm sorry so the things that you have seen so that's the things in the past then the things that are that's the things in the present and then the things which are to come in the future and that's the Uh, future and so that's actually a very good outline for the book of Revelation chapter 1 we see the things that are in the past he sees the revelation of Jesus that's something that happened in the past for him as he's writing next comes the things that are and then he talks about the seven letters to the seven churches and so that speaks of the present age that we live in the age of the church and then starting in chapter 4 verse 1 he says after this i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and where he says after this that's the greek word meta tauta which means after this good translation verse 19 though of chapter 1 had said this the things that are to take place after this so meta tauta so we see that same exact greek phrase used in revelation 1:19 and then again in revelation 4 verse 1, and what it shows us is that, okay, starting in Revelation 4, verse 1, now these are things which are yet to take place. These are things which are going to happen in the future. So do I believe that these things have happened uh, when it comes to these uh, woes of of Revelation 9 and then going through Revelation 11? And uh, let's see, does it go past that? Yeah, actually, it goes all the way to chapter 16. So Revelation 9 to 16. And my answer is no, I don't believe these things have happened. I believe they are still things which are yet to come in the future when God will bring his judgment upon the, uh, the earth for, for sin in preparation for Jesus coming back. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. We've got seven minutes left in the show, probably enough time for one or two more calls. If you would like to call in, we have open lines right now and would love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303 Or you can text us at 720 336 Nine, seven. Let's go back to our text line as we're waiting for, uh, see if any more calls come in. So we have one question that says, where did Jesus go when he died on the cross? It's a great question. And, uh, and here's, uh, here's my answer. There is this uh, belief, which, which I actually believe myself, that, um, that Jesus went to hell after his death on the cross. And that's actually in the Apostles' Creed. Um, and that now I will, I will qualify that with, um, what I mean by hell. So, uh, the apostles creed, you know, it says that he descended into hell and then he rose again on the third day. And so the reason why that is believed is because it is said that, um, in first Peter chapter three, verses 18 through 20, it says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. In um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says this about Jesus, that he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And it says in saying that he ascended, doesn't it also mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended is the one who who has also ascended far above. And so what this this is all putting together for us is that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that he descended into hell. Now, that's why I wanted to qualify what I mean by hell, is that uh, we have to understand what the Bible teaches about hell, especially in the Old Testament. And that is that there was this place called Sheol. And Sheol is mentioned, for example, in the Psalms uh, several times and in other places in the Bible. Sheol is the realm of the deceased. And so whether you were a righteous or an unrighteous person, everybody went to Sheol. But in Sheol, there were two parts. So there was a division in Sheol, which was uh, that people who had put their faith and trust in God, they went to a place of comfort, which was called Abraham's bosom. That was one part of Sheol. And then people who had not uh, trusted in God and his promise of the Messiah went to Hades, which was a place of torment. And so, the, But those were all encompassed, both of those were encompassed in uh, the idea of Sheol, the dwelling place of the dead. And you can actually see this in, for example, Luke chapter 15, where we see that there's this parable that Jesus tells about this man or the story that Jesus tells about this man who died. And then he went into Sheol and he could see, you know, across into the place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. And he was, he was calling out and saying, Hey, you know, would you please come touch my tongue with, with a drop of water? I'm in torment. And the response that he got uh, was no, there is an, unbridgeable gap between us you can't just you can't pass nobody can pass between these two parts of Sheol the place of comfort and the, the place of torment and then the man says well could you please send someone to go and preach to my brothers because I don't want them to end up where I've ended up in this place of torment and the response he gets is they have the scriptures let them they have the prophets you know let them listen to them and all that to say this when we um when we go on to figuring out what happened with Jesus after he died the picture we get is that Jesus descended into sheol he led the captives so to say free the captives that he led free are those who were in abraham's bosom who were waiting for the salvation that was to come through the messiah who had put their faith in him, but yet they couldn't go to heaven because they hadn't yet been redeemed by Jesus. And so he went there, and he led those captives in his train up to heaven, and then the, he preached to the people in Hades who were formerly disobedient. And so I hope that answers your question uh, as to that question, where Jesus went after he died on the cross. Let's go. I think we've got one time for one last call. Let's go to Brita in Colorado Springs. Hi, Brita.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good. We've got two minutes. Do you think we can do this? Okay
1: yeah let's try it so right. um, I have a question about I believe it's parentism um so they believe uh, to my understanding that you should only have like one teacher and that you should sound like whoever your teacher is, but my understanding like in my belief is that my teacher is God in the Bible and Jesus, and so I'm just curious like like as a Christian, as a pastor, what's your opinion is on that, and like um like rabbis um uh here um for like paradox Judaism, uh just because it's kind of confusing they have a lot of good points but there's a lot of things that i feel like it's like a red flag that it's not right
0: yeah i do think that is a red flag uh especially to, i'll tell you from a christian perspective this is really important is that um you know the spirit of god so god's holy spirit you know it's also called the spirit of christ is mm-hmm. within every believer so when you are when you put your faith in jesus you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and that means that I have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit if your faith is in Jesus and you know other people do and therefore we can teach and admonish one another. I think that's just a really really clear point from the new testament is that if you have the spirit of god you've been endowed with gifts by the holy spirit and you've been endowed with the responsibility to share those gifts with others and that's just to say i I do think that it is unwise to only tie yourself to one teacher and i agree with you that it it should be the word of god speaking uh into your life instead so thank you for your call god bless you you've been listening to calvary live this is nick katie from whitefields community church in longmont colorado i'll be back with you in a couple days god bless you